New Year's Day, January 1st, 1773. Hold on one moment. John Newton's sermon was titled, if I can get this to go, nope, okay, there we go. This was actually the title of his sermon that day on New Year's Day, 250 years ago and about three or four months now. And this was also the original title of his hymn that he wrote to supplement that service that morning. Uh, so this hymn that we know of as Amazing Grace, uh, the title was actually Faith's Review and Expectation. Um, and this was to serve uh, the purpose of um, amplifying and helping to explain First uh, Chronicles 17. Uh, so this new hymn uh, we have in our hymnal uh, under a different name. Uh, so let's take this uh, hymn and uh, turn, please, in your hymnals. If you'll grab the hymn book in front of you, the Baptist hymnal. For those of you who uh, always look at the screen, it looks like this. Number 330. I actually like to hold the hymn book, even if I have a song memorized. I just like holding this hymn book. Um, I like holding my Bible, even though I do use uh, my phone sometimes. So, Amazing Grace. Uh, before we read uh, the scripture, uh, let's take a brief look at this hymn itself. Uh, so, I'd like to talk about hymns. Um, how many of you uh, have ever studied hymnology at all? Anyone? Mark? <laughs> okay. Uh, so... If you look at the bottom right of this hymn, you'll see the words New Britain. Who knows what that is? Mark, you can't answer anything. <laughs> New Britain is the name of the hymn tune, uh, this tune that we know of as Amazing Grace. So when we say hymn, we actually often maybe think of this as the hymn. But this isn't the hymn. That's the hymn tune. The hymn is the poem. And so uh, this hymn tune was called New Britain. Uh, that was not the hymn tune that was used that morning uh, in 1773. Uh, we don't know exactly what hymn tune was used. Uh, so hymn writers could use various hymn tunes uh, to fit their uh, hymn that they wrote. You'll notice right under New Britain it says eight dot six dot eight dot six cm okay so this is the meter of this hymn and if you'll turn to page 749 i think i got that right yes yeah, 749 you can keep your thumb in amazing grace if you want at 330 but uh page 749 not hymn number 749 page 749 it's in the very back of your book in the indices and if you'll look in the third column, uh, this is called the metrical index of tunes. And if you'll look in the third column, at the bottom of the third column, it says 8.6.8.6 cm. Cm stands for common meter. This is the meter of this particular hymn tune. 
And you'll see up at the top, uh, there are three different types of meter that are listed there. And if you scroll down that uh, column, you will see about two-thirds of the way down there, New Britain, number 330. This is the hymn tune. You also see many other hymns listed under that column, uh, under that group, that is, uh, 8.6.8.6, that meter. Um, What that means is that all of these hymns are set up to be able to handle any other hymn that's written with this same meter. Uh, let, the, the easiest way for you to see that, unless you're a musician and you understand what I'm talking about, is to actually look at a few of those hymns. So uh, you'll notice one of those is 481. So if you turn to 481 in your hymn book, it's, Am I a Soldier of the Cross?, Well, this has the same meter as New Britain, uh, or what we often know of as Amazing Grace. Uh, Let's look at another one, hymn number 145. I think this one's a little better known. Alas, and did my Savior bleed? Uh, Let's go to one more here, 216. Hymn number 216. And, oh yes, you all know this one. Now, you think of this as, uh, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. But if you look down at the bottom right, what's the hymn tune name? Asmon, right. Okay, so what we're going to do is take this hymn tune and sing the first verse of Amazing Grace. And it should fit perfectly. Uh, so here we go with, uh, oh, for a thousand tongues we sing, uh, Asmon. Um, but we're going to sing the first verse of Amazing Grace, which I hope you have memorized. Okay, ready? Sing with me. Amazing grace, how Isn't that amazing? Any of those tunes under that meter will fit perfectly just like that one did. Uh, So that's what John Newton did. He wrote his hymn, which was simply the words, uh, the lyrics to this hymn, and he he fit it with whatever might have been a common hymn tune uh, in that day, and everyone knew the hymn tune, so they simply read the words and sang the hymn very easily. Uh, So we could look at, uh, let's let's do one more of those. Uh, Let's see, if you go back just a little bit to number 200, Oh, let's see. No, this one uh, is uh, 202. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Uh, We have three versions of it, you'll see, with three different hymn tunes. But at the bottom of all three of these, 200, 201, and 202, they all say 8.6.8.6CM. And so we're going to use the most popular one, uh, 202. And let's sing again, Amazing Grace to this tune. We'll just sing the first verse again. Ready? Sing. Amazing grace.
And you'll notice that there are some repeating uh, uh, phrases uh, sometimes in this. Um, so this is what people do when they write hymns. So uh, can you name another really famous hymn writer that we all know? Just shout it out. Fanny Crosby. So if we look at Fanny Crosby, uh, we will see that she wrote a lot of hymns, not a lot of hymn tunes. Uh, another one, Isaac Watts. Uh, so Isaac Watts wrote, wrote great hymns. He was also very interested in hymn tunes. And in fact, Isaac Watts was the one who put this whole metrical system uh, together and labeled, uh, started uh, labeling these hymns. So that's a very interesting uh, part of Isaac Watts. Um, so, if we go back to 330, we see at the bottom left the words. So, on the bottom right is the hymn tune, and the bottom left are the words. Often you'll see in music uh, these two at the top. On the right, the tune, uh, or whoever wrote the music, and on the left, whoever wrote the words to a song. Uh, this, is, this still holds true for uh, pop music or any, any piece of music you go and buy at a music store or online nowadays, uh, you will find that at the top. So the words, you'll see the first four verses were written by John Newton. Uh, but at the end of the service, we're going to sing all six verses that John Newton wrote. And you'll also see that verse 5, when we've been there 10,000 years, was not written by John Newton. Uh, that was added later, uh, and we don't know who wrote that. It says anonymous, uh, circa 1790, so some, sometime around 1790, we think. Um, the hymn to New Britain that we know of as Amazing Grace wasn't actually uh, used until 1835. So in 1835, uh, composer William Walker combined the lyrics of Amazing Grace uh, to this tune, and the rest is history. Um, you'll see also the music was used a few years before that in Virginia Harmony. Uh, this, our hymn book tells us that. Uh, two years before that, um, uh, Colombian Harmony was also in 1829 uh, used that tune. So uh, now I would like for you to um, stand. Let's stand. And we're going to read God's Word. This chapter, First uh, Chronicles 17, is what um, Mark Saylor referred to. Uh, so uh, before we read this, I'm, I'm just going to say that I'm a, a big New American Standard Bible fan. Anybody else a New American Standard fan? Okay, great. Uh, that's known by conservative scholars over the past five decades. It's probably uh, the most literal uh, translation that we have. Uh, I'm rather disappointed in the 2020 version, uh, which uh, made some uh, changes to make it a little more, more culturally acceptable. So therefore, the Lachman Foundation decided to keep printing the 1995 version, and I have a feeling it's going to be like the new Coke. Do you all remember that? So is there new Coke anymore? I don't think so. I think it went out. So I think the 2020 uh, NASB uh, will disappear. That's my prediction uh, in a few years because uh, the people who love NASB are very conservative and want God's word just like it is. So that when they started changing just a few little things, people aren't going to like that very much. 
Um, so let's read this. Uh, now, you might, might wonder, though, well, this doesn't look like NASB. Uh, this is actually uh, the New Living Translation, which I like just to read from. Uh, and uh, there's some really um, uh, reliable uh, uh, proponents of this, uh, such as Chuck Swindoll, uh, the Chancellor Emeritus of Dallas Seminary, and also our own our own uh, Paul Williamson uh, loves this version, who, if you don't know, Paul is a, an experienced Bible translator uh, with Wycliffe uh, Bible Translators, so, and uh, has a master's degree in linguistics and is a Greek and Hebrew uh, scholar. So, uh, here is First Chronicles 17. When David was settled in his palace, he summoned Nathan the prophet, Look, David said, I am living in a beautiful cedar palace, but the ark of the Lord's covenant is out there under a tent. Nathan replied to David, Do whatever you have in mind, for God is with you. But that same night, God said to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, This is what the Lord has said, has declared. You are not the one to build a house for me to live in. I have never lived in a house from the day I brought the Israelites out of Egypt until this very day. My home has always been a tent, moving from place to place, uh, from one place to another in a tabernacle. Yet, no matter where I have gone with the Israelites, I have never once complained to Israel's leaders, the shepherds of my people. I have never asked them, why haven't you built me a beautiful cedar house? Now go and say to my servant David, This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in a pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone, and I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. Now I will make your name as famous as anyone who has ever lived on the earth, and I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed." Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people Israel, and I will defeat all your enemies. Further, furthermore, I declared that the Lord will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For when you die and join your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants one of your sons, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for me, and I will secure his throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. I will never take my favor from him as I took it from the one who ruled before you. I will confirm him as king over my house and my kingdom for all time, and his throne will be secure forever. And who are we talking about? Jesus. Uh, So here's the prediction that Jesus will come from the line of David. So Nathan went back to David and told him everything the Lord had said in this vision. And then here are the two verses that uh, John Newton really uh, emphasized in his sermon. Uh, Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, O God, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty. You speak as though I were someone very great, O Lord. 
And we'll uh, stop with that. You may be seated. I won't read the rest of the chapter. Uh, in this chapter, God sends the Nathan prophet to tell David the king uh, that although David wanted to build a house, uh, God, the Lord, will build David's house. Uh, his house will, will be his uh, people, his descendants, and of course, Jesus Christ uh, will come from that line. Um, and then David responds in humility and thankfulness. And Mark talked about uh, how John Newton uh, wanted his um, his congregation to be, uh, have a thankful heart. Um, and so uh, this, this who am I uh, is a really, really important uh, thing. We, we should ask that of ourselves. Uh, here is an excerpt from John Newton's sermon notes. So we, we have uh, these sermon notes uh, for that New Year's Day sermon 250 years ago. And in the sermon notes, uh, it says, I've edited this a little bit just for the old English language to make it a little more understandable. Who am I? This is John Newton's notes. This question should always be upon our mind. What was I when the Lord began to manifest his purposes of love? What were you? What, what was I? At that time, we were miserable, shut up under the law and unbelief. We were rebellious, blinded by the God of this world. We had no desire or deliverance. Instead of desiring God's help, we breathed the spirit of defiance against him. His mercy came to us not only undeserved, but undesired. Few of us responded to his calls. And when he knocked at the door of our hearts, we endeavored to shut him out until he overcame us by the power of his grace. He's the one who came and found us, as Mark said. We didn't go find him. He found us. Um, and John Newton has in his notes, Titus 3.3, 3, uh, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. And then uh, one more point I want to uh, read from his notes. He says, it was the Lord against whom we sinned and who showed us mercy. He needed not. What just cause of admiration that he should appoint such salvation in such a way in favor of such, such helpless, worthless creatures. Uh, these are really amazing words of, of God's amazing grace. Uh, and this first stanza uh, of Amazing Grace, really the whole, the whole hymn. Uh, I won't go through the entire hymn, but this first stanza uh, really amplifies uh, this thought uh, that he's presented here in his sermon and, and that's in First uh, Chronicles 17. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. So do you look at yourself as a wretch? Um, I certainly was. Um, and I, I hope we all can say that. Um, when you look at John Newton's life, you can see how he would say, I am the chief of sinners. You heard Mark tell about his, his uh, uh, profanity um, and his disregard for God, his blasphemy of the Lord God. Um, and so he would say he's the chief of sinners. But what about us? 
Can we say, can I say that I was the chief of sinners? Can you say that you were the chief of sinners? Um, as Paul did and as John Newton certainly would say. Do you see your sin as so immense that you view yourself in this way? Uh, maybe if we can't say that about ourselves, then we need to humble ourselves before God and empty ourselves of pride. Uh, James 4, 6 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Um, Newton made it clear that we didn't seek after God. He found us. John Newton expressed very clearly in Amazing Grace that the first thing you must do in order to access God's grace is to humble yourself uh, and to see your total depravity, your insufficiency, uh, your helplessness. Then you can truly come and experience his grace. So my question to you, uh, I'm sure most of us uh, in this auditorium right now are saved, but maybe there's someone who came in uh, who doesn't know um, and someone on the internet who's watching who doesn't know the Lord uh, so my question would be, do you know for sure that you are going to heaven? If you died 10 minutes from now, would you be ready to meet the Lord? If you can't answer uh, a confident yes to that, uh, then you need to be saved. And if you did go to meet the Lord, uh, the second question is, what would you say to him if he said, why should I let you in my heaven? Um, and if you come to him and say, well, I was pretty good, um, and I did lots of uh, good things for many people, and you talk about yourself, uh, God's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Um, so we, we have to realize that we are absolutely helpless. If we sin in one way, James says in uh, James 2.10, uh, we're guilty of the whole law. And what does God require? If you're going to try to follow the law to get to heaven, you have to be perfect. Matthew 5, 48, uh, when um, Pastor Vic preached on the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus made it very clear, uh, you don't have to just follow the Ten Commandments. I'm going to expand this because it's not only doing these things that you have to do, you have to be perfect in your heart, in your thinking. You have to be perfect uh, just as your heavenly Father is perfect. He clarified that. Um, well, uh, none of us can even come close to reaching that. Uh, Romans t uh, 3, verses 10. Let's see if we can get here. Uh, verses 10 through 18. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues, they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. Do you all think he's talking about someone else? Or you? <laughs> you know, if, if we're so proud that we think that wasn't us, then we need to take a closer look at ourselves. Whose mouth, verse 14, is full of cursing and bitterness, uh, their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And even if you didn't do one of those things, as James said, you're guilty of all anyway. Um, 
Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6.23 gives the penalty for that, for the wages of sin is death. Uh, So what is God to do? Um, He's a loving God, and yet here we are uh, as terrible sinners. So uh, I'm I'm going to give this illustration that I uh, gave last time I was up in this pulpit. And that is, maybe some of you have heard this before, if I wrote all of my sins down in this book, uh, well, first of all, this book wouldn't hold them. I would need a whole library full, a very large library, uh, that would contain uh, hundreds of thousands of sins. And it only takes one uh, to make me imperfect and unsuitable to meet God. But let's say this held all of my sins. Um, The Lord, Jesus Christ, was tempted in all points as we were, and never sinned. And as Pastor uh, Vic said, either last week or the week before, um, he had to be perfect. Because if he wasn't perfect, if he didn't fulfill the law completely, then when he died on the cross, he would have been paying for his own sins, not ours. So he was the perfect Lamb of God. And in Isaiah 53, it says that the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that he, Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God. Uh, It's the great exchange. Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our sin, and we've been clothed in his righteousness. Um, So this is great news. Uh, Does that mean then that the whole world is saved? He, He died for the sins of the world. And, of course, we know that that's not true because that gift is offered to us, but we must accept the gift. Uh, Salvation is by grace. Let's uh, read Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. And when you were dead, and you were dead, in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them too, we too, all formerly lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ." By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Even that faith that we exercise was a gift from God. So, the problem is our sin. The solution, Jesus died for our sins. He paid the price as our substitute, our propitiation. Um, But we must exercise faith. So, what is faith? Uh, Faith is the noun. Believe is the verb. Uh, Greek words are pistuo and pistis. And those uh, words uh, don't just mean to believe about, but mean to trust in, to rely upon, to depend upon. Um, So, I can say, I believe that that chair will hold me. 
but right now, I'm not placing my faith in that chair. I'm not believing in it in the sense of biblical faith. Uh, I must come over and actually sit in it, and now I can depend, now I am depending on this chair. And that's what we must do. Uh, so if you haven't done that, you must completely depend on Christ, which means you can't say to God, I have something that I'm offering too. Uh, 51%? Um, not even 1%. Even if you say, you know what, it's 99% God, but I have just a little bit to offer that I've done because I'm, I'm, I'm not too bad of a person. I've lived a pretty good life. Um, it was really hard for my father to come to Christ because he was, uh, in the world's eyes, he was a very good man, um, but a wretched sinner in God's eyes. And my dad had a hard time understanding his need for Christ because he was just a good man. Uh, but he wasn't a good man. He was a terrible sinner. He did come to uh, Christ toward the end of his life. Uh, I praise God for that. So you must come with nothing, absolutely nothing. Uh, and this is what John Newton did. He came uh, with nothing to offer uh, himself. Uh, Romans 5, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, John 3.16 gives us that solution. Uh, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And finally, Romans 10, 9 through 13, uh, tells us uh, this, this act of believing is necessary. Uh, Romans 10, 9 through 13, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Uh, let's skip down to verse uh, 13. For whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So, have you believed in Jesus Christ as your Savior? Uh, I'm sure most of us in this auditorium have, but if you haven't, uh, you can do that. Uh, all you have to do is tell God right now. You can just tell him in your heart. You don't have to speak it out loud even. Um, you can tell him that you know you are a sinner and you have nothing to offer to God and you believe that Jesus died for your sins. Tell him that and thank him for it and tell him that you know Jesus rose from the dead and that you can have life through him. And what about you, my brothers and sisters in Christ? Are you living by God's grace through faith? Because we're supposed to live by grace through faith in the same way that we were saved by grace through faith. Uh, Romans 5, 20 through 6, 7. I want to read that. I don't have it up here. Uh, the law came in so that the transgression, I don't think I do, no, uh, so that the transgression would increase. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Wow, so the more sin you have, the more grace you get. Um, that sounds like an invitation to sin, doesn't it? Because you're going to be forgiven anyway. 
uh, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then in uh, chapter 6, verse 1, Paul asks the question, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace might increase? God forbid. How shall we who died to sin continue to live in it? Anybody who goes around and says, wow, I'm free to, uh, I'm free to sin because God's going to forgive me anyway, uh, doesn't really understand uh, grace. Um, and, and, and they're showing that, uh, that maybe they don't really have salvation. So, uh, brothers and sisters, let's, uh, let's not take God's grace lightly. Uh, let's live for him. Okay. Um, I'll end with Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Uh, let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we thank you for this amazing grace that you gave to us. And Lord, for those who uh, don't know you, we pray that uh, your word that was just preached would sink into their hearts and their minds and their spirit and that you would draw them to yourself. And Lord, for those of us who do know you, we pray uh, that you will help us to live by grace through faith and offer ourselves to you as a living sacrifice every day. Thank you, Lord, for this amazing hymn, Amazing Grace, and how it's touched so many lives. And thank you for your amazing grace in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.